one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. Yes, we are in the middle of a test series between Australia and India, but also on the cricket calendar coming up is the Marsh One Day Cup final between Western Australia and South Australia. That's on Wednesday, 8th of March, and it's going to be at the Wacker Ground in Perth. And on this edition of the Unplayable Podcast, myself, Josh on a finger, is going to be joined by Jack Painter to look back at the season that's been and look ahead at what promises to be an interesting final to decide who will be this year's winner of the Marsh One Day Cup. Jack, thanks for joining me on this edition. Is Western Australia going to steamroll to victory as they have all year or is it going to be a close classic? Hey, Josh, uh, I'm not too sure if it's going to be a close game or not. Just looking at the uh, predicted 11 for WA that uh, I just uh, sent to you, it's it's a strong 11. Uh, it's got a few Aussie guys in there, uh, Mitch Marsh, Marcus Stoinis, Ashton Agar. Then you've got you know, Josh Phillippe and Darcy Short and Cameron Bancroft who are all in electric form at the top of the order. So it's going to be a tough ask for uh, South Australia, but they've earned their spot in the final with a, a crucial victory over, over Victoria last round. So who knows? Uh, that's what we love about cricket. It could uh, could go either way on the day. And now your chat with Ashton Turner, WA's captain for the Marsh One Day Cup. That's coming up in just a few moments. And that final, March 8, as we've mentioned, that'll be live on Foxtel, KO Sports, ABC Grandstand, and of course, streamed live and free on the Cricket Australia live app and cricket.com.au. Now, Jack, if we look ahead to that last round of the Marsh Cup fixtures, which was just a week or so ago, Western Australia were locked in for the final, but there were at least three teams who could have made it based on results. And in the end, it was South Australia who pipped, I think, Victoria and Queensland to make that last spot in the final. They were a slim chance, Queensland were, and New South Wales as well. They needed a bonus point victory and it to be a tie or a washout in South Australia, which the weather was pretty good there uh, this time of year, so that was unlikely to happen. And, yeah, it was really the South Australia who uh, stood up on the day. Victoria only made 136. They couldn't quite get any partnerships together. Uh, I think Spencer Johnson took three wickets and and then they got the t- total two down. So it was a comprehensive victory in the end and that's why they deserved their spot to face WA for the title because they uh, won when it mattered. Yep, it meant South Australia finished with four wins from their seven matches to qualify for the final and they also grabbed the bonus point from that match uh, as it happened. We also saw a classic finish at the Gabba between Queensland and New South Wales. Queensland winning by three runs with Josh Brown of all people finishing off the match with the ball. So this, yeah, this was a bizarre finish. Go back and watch the um, highlights if if you can. Uh, Steve McGriffin was bowling the last over and he got a wicket, but injured himself in the process. And because it was the last over, all their other bowlers had bowled out, so they had no one else to bowl. And they turned to 
Josh Brown, Jimmy Pearson threw the ball to Josh Brown, a few little medium paces off a couple of steps, and he got the job done. It was quite remarkable in the end. Uh, there was a run out to win the game. Uh, so without spoiling it too much, but uh, go back and have a look at that because it's uh, one of the more bizarre finishes that you'll see in a game of cricket. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised if we didn't see Joshy Brown with the ball in the big bash after what we saw there in that Marsh Cup. But let's just say that uh, what he rolls out, it's uh, pretty unintimidating. Um, compared to what he offers with the bat, it's almost a complete opposite. In fairness, though, he was uh, bowling to Adam Zamper and Liam Hatcher, so 10 and 11. Um, obviously, Zampa's played a lot of cricket, but um, you know, you'd hope to fancy yourself against those two guys. Uh, but yeah, uh, thrilling finish. Uh, Good, uh, good way to finish the regular season for the Marsh Cup and lead into a, a final, which we hope is uh, equally as exciting. Absolutely. Now, does that fall under your top moments of the season? I know that you've had a bit of a crack at nailing out your top five or so moments of the season. Why don't you run us through your list and what's made the top five moments? It does. It uh, comes in at number two. Uh, the number one is actually uh, Daniel Hughes's fourth ton of the season, or his four tons. Uh, quite a remarkable uh, season for him uh, just keeps knocking on that door for Australian ODI selection. His uh, one day record is is remarkable. Unfortunately, uh, went down with a calf injury in the Shield match uh, on day one against Victoria. That's just happened uh, last week. Um, which, if he was in calculations uh, to replace David Warner, say if, if they needed someone on the, the India three match tour coming up, then could rule him out but uh, we're not sure we'll just wait and see he didn't bat in the second innings but uh, yeah those those four times he just looked like he was uh, no one could get him out in, in the 50 over format it was quite remarkable batting it just got to a point where you expected him to make 100 every time he walked to the cricket or walked to the crease yeah it's been an incredible season from him 548 runs in only seven matches with four centuries from Daniel Hughes pretty impressive stuff only two players before him have hit four centuries in one domestic one-day season. That was Brad Hodge and Phil Jakes, so two legends of the state scene. Daniel Hughes joins them. And what else has made your top moments list there, Jack? Uh, yeah, Bo Webster took a couple of crackers early in the season at AB Field, one in the slips and then one off Tom Andrews at mid-off, I think it was. Uh, so those highlights are on our website as well. So go back and, and what, do yourself a favour and watch them. Uh, Jake Doran uh, had a bit of a breakout campaign early in the season. He got back-to-back centuries uh, for Tasmania as well. And then we go right back to the start of the season. There was a thriller to open the Marsh Cup. I uh, don't know if you'd ever call a, a Duckworth-Lewis-Stern victory a thriller, but uh, it certainly was a fading light at the Junction Oval and the Vicks uh, and New South Wales are tied at the end of one over. Um, the umpire said bad. Like the light's getting really bad. You can't bowl your uh, medium paces. So they realised they were they were tired and they said, we'll bowl one more over of spin, which was bowled by Jason Sanger. And then Matt Short, uh, who at the time wasn't in this rich vein of form that he is now, but off the last ball he needed, uh, I think they needed four to get ahead of the Duckworth-Lewis pass score and he, and he hit a six and that uh, remarkable finish to start the season. And, and that was that. Yeah, it was certainly a sign of things to come for Matt Short. If only we knew he was going to have such a terrific season when he hit that six uh, to send the Vicks to victory. Uh, now, just question without notice here, Jack. When we think about Tasmania's season, they finished on the bottom of the table, two wins from their seven matches, 
but they had so many individual highlights. As you mentioned, Bo Webster was great in the field. We had Jake Doran with some sparkling form with the bat. Even Caleb Jewell hit two centuries at the top of their order. And Tom Rogers finished as the leading wicket taker in the competition with 20. And yet they finished on the bottom of the table. So it just didn't click for them this year, despite having a lot of individual stars, did it? No, it hasn't uh, for Tassie this year. Those two wins are actually their first two matches, I, th- I think, up in uh, Queensland at Allen Border Field, and then they haven't won since then. So it's been a bit of a up-and-down year, stop-start. They haven't really been able to get on a roll in both competitions. And with all the talent on their list, you would expect them to be up there competing for, for both trophies. But unfortunately, they just haven't been able to string a few wins together and just haven't been consistent enough in their performances with with both bat and ball. As you mentioned, Tom Rogers is a standout, but he wasn't even contracted to Tasmania at the start of the season. So, uh, yeah, disappointing uh, all-round season for them. Um, And hopefully they can figure out a way in the off-season and bounce back next year because they've certainly got the talent across the board. Yeah, there certainly is. Now, as you mentioned earlier, there is an ODI series coming up for the Aussie men in India after the fourth test of that series. And if we look ahead to October, there's actually an ODI World Cup happening in India as well. So if we look at the top performers from the Marsh Cup, who has put their hand up for a spot in that squad? Because even though it is only six or so months away, there are still plenty of unknowns about how that Aussie squad is going to look for the upcoming World Cup. Well, Daniel Hughes is the obvious one, uh, but he's... Uh, entering his mid-30s, so age is probably not an issue side. The other big one is Matt Short. He's in a, a rich vein of form at the moment. Uh, white ball has probably been seen as his strongest um, format up until just recently. I know he's just scored back-to-back Sheffield Shield hundreds, but uh, he's he's dominated the big bash for the last couple of seasons. So I think there would definitely be an opportunity for him to play at some point. And Chris Rogers, the Victorian coach, said recently he's been in conversations with uh, selectors, George Bailey, Tony Dodabade, about how he could fit into that side. Uh, so that's one to watch. The other ones, uh, Marcus Harris has always been a, a decent performer at uh, one-day domestic level. He's captain in Victoria at the moment. Um, but he's never seen really seen to get a look in in the 50-over format at the international level. Um, other ones are, are sort of Josh Phillippe. He's, again, had an outstanding uh, white ball season. It hasn't quite quick, clicked for him in the Sheffield Shield since Josh Inglis has come back. Uh, but he's, he's always uh, done quite well in the, in the one-day format, opening with Darcy Short. So those are, those are the batters. In terms of the, the bowlers, I guess uh, the obvious one is, is probably Riley Meredith. He broke into that uh, one-day squad against England, that three-match series, series at the end of the World Cup. Didn't play, uh, but he seems to have really uh, got his body together, been able to stay on the park. He's bowling really fast, taking wickets, uh, which we love to see from from Riley. Uh, so he's another one to watch, I think. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the top wicket takers from the Marsh Cup now, and most of the guys up the top are quicks, but the leading spinner from the season is from the Redbacks, Ben Menenti with nine wickets. Uh, we are big fans of Ben Menenti here at the Unplayable Podcast, and he's had a terrific season with bat and ball and in the field and in both competitions as well, Shield and One Day Cup. Spin's going to be key in this ODI World Cup. Is there any way if his performances continue that he could sneak his way into this World Cup squad? I think it's a little bit early for Ben. He's only just uh, really got an extended run at it this season, but hasn't he been a revelation for South Australia with both bat and ball uh, and in the field as well? He's taken some ripping catches that slip 
Uh, so yeah, we just uh, we love Bermanetti because just what he brings, that energy. Uh, he's really uh, become sort of the, the Redbacks talisman a, a little bit. Um, so uh, he could he could he's one who could potentially win them the March Cup final should he get going uh, if they need someone to rescue them down the order a few quick runs and then uh, he always pops up with uh, vital wickets. So um, yeah, it, not far off, I guess, uh, but. I guess if he keeps doing it for another season, then he's definitely going to be on the radar. All right, maybe I'll just cool the jets on Ben Menetti at this stage. <laughs> um, but he will have an important role to play this Wednesday in the final. As we know, South Australia have it all to do against the reigning champions, Western Australia, who will go into this match with a stacked lineup. They've got all-rounders Mitch Marsh and Marcus Stoinis who are back and fully fit. They've missed quite a bit of this campaign, but they're ready to go for the final and it's also expected that Andrew Ty will be back as well. Their top order is stacked. They've got plenty of runs. Middle order is looking good. And the quicks, we know what they can produce as well. So, Jack, what should the Redbacks be focusing on ahead of the match on Wednesday? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, Spencer Johnson just took a seventher in the Sheffield Shield uh, over the weekend. Can he take another seventher? Because uh, that would really help them win that match. Uh, but if you look at the last time the two <laughs> Two sides played at the um, at the Wacker. This is probably the closest that Western Australia came to losing all year. They got pushed all the way um, to the line. I think that they made around two sixty uh, batting first. Henry Hunt got a hundred, and then WA looked to be on track. They were sort of uh, going along four down, comfortable with the rate, and then the Redbacks took a couple of wickets. Ben Menenti got involved again, and Western Australia ended up just sneaking over the line um, eight down uh, with about three or four overs to spare. So that was probably the closest they came to losing. So South Australia will take a lot of confidence from that, I think. They're going to have to bat first, uh, make a lot of runs, put WA under pressure, and then hopefully that can you know just squeeze them a little bit. Uh, wickets pressure, and you never know what can happen in a final. But uh, one thing WA do have in their, in their favour is they've been there before. Scorchers, WA, the last few years have won a lot of titles. They know how to... Uh, respond and play under those in those pressure moments. So uh, you may think you've got them on the ropes, but that's what's made them so great over the last few years. They've found a way to win. So uh, hopefully it'll be a close match, but uh, I'm tipping WA for sure. And before we brush over them as well, I mean, the Quicks, Jason Berendorf and Andrew Ty, they are such a strong combination. Berendorf often strikes with the new ball. Ty often strikes with the older ball. These guys have done it for years and years for Western Australia. And they're going to have a big say as well again on Wednesday. Yeah, it's just been a season performance for so long. They, uh, Jason Berendorf didn't even play the last game. Andrew Ty's been missing since uh, the big bash because he's been over playing the Pakistan Super League. So they've got that incredible depth that they've been able to win without them. And, and then coming back for the final just further strengthens that and makes it an even more imposing task for South Australia to get the, get the win. That's a pretty good segue to throw ahead to your chat with WA captain Ashton Turner-Jack. What did you guys chat about? Uh, it was a pretty wide-ranging chat. I really enjoyed it. I'm a big fan of uh, Ashton Turner, especially with his uh, leadership as well. And he always seems to stand up under pressure. You just look at the last two big bash finals uh, where he's led the Scorchers to those those victories. So I really uh, enjoyed talking to him. Uh, there was an interesting uh, conversation about his latest shoulder uh, surgery um, would have noticed he's been bowling a little bit in the second eleven of late, and and for WA and and in the Big Bash actually uh, took four wickets for the second eleven. Uh, but in the winter of two thousand nineteen, he had this uh, his fourth shoulder surgery. It's called a Lattage procedure. 
Um, and it was really interesting about how they took a bit of bone um, and put it where some cartilage was, um, so effectively stabilised that joint. And then for him to dislocate it again, he effectively ha- has to uh, break bone. So uh, really interesting. He talks about how he didn't think he'd bowl again, but uh, now that he is, it's just a new new life. So without spoiling it too much, that was a, that was an interesting uh, little segment there. And then his leadership is really something he's um, taken on. He's a, he's a bit of a student of it as well. So he reads a lot, does a bit of guest speaking uh, to other groups about how to how to be good leaders. Um, when he had to um, sort of apply for the apply for the WA captaincy once Adam Voges retired. He had him and Mitch Marsh had to go in and present to the CEO, the coach, uh, Justin Langer at the time and the board and that really got him thinking about you know, how how to be a leader and really inspired him to, to go out and find out more about it. So without uh, spoiling the, the chat too much, but uh, those are sort of two things that I took out of it. Uh, really interesting guy, lovely, lovely guy to chat to and um, hopefully it's an insightful, insightful uh, chat. Oh, no doubt it will be, Jack. Now, all the highlights that we've mentioned in this episode of the Unplayable Podcast will drop into the episode notes so you can easily check out some elite highlights from this year's Marsh One Day Cup. Now it's time to jump into Jack's chat with WA captain Ashton Turner. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. We're joined by Western Australia One Day Captain Ashton Turner. Uh, Ashton, Perth WA teams are into another another final. You guys must be getting pretty used to this. Yeah, it's a really exciting part of the summer for us where, um, you know, we prepare long and hard to earn the right to be a part of big games and, um, you know, for the One Day team, you know, we've qualified and earned the right to play at home in Perth, which is something that we haven't been able to do for a long time in one-day cricket. So it's an exciting opportunity and, um, you know, it's the reason that we're all playing domestic cricket is to try and win trophies. Now, there's a bit of difference in the in the two sides at the moment, uh, Sheffield Shield-wise and, and Marsh Cup-wise. Um, you've got Josh Phillippe, Darcy Short, Jason Berendorf and, and yourself who are in that Shield team. And then on the flip side, you've got Sam Whiteman and... Teague Wiley, who are just in the Shield side, that's just another example, I guess, of the depth in WA cricket at the moment. Yeah, you're right. It's a really difficult one to handle. Um, we're juggling a lot of good players. You know, if you look at our squad, you know, we've probably got 18 fully contracted players, um, you know, four or five rookies, four or five Australian contracted guys, and everyone in our squad 
you know, in some respects deserves to be playing domestic cricket in one format or the other and trying to fit 25 guys into one team. Clearly the maths don't work and it's not doable, but, um, you know, we feel like we've got a pretty even spread of contributors. Um, like you said, there's quite a difference between our one-day squad and our Shield squad at the moment, which has its positives. It also has its challenges, but, um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we're really confident in the in both squads, and you know, we see that on the field. And both sides are top of the table in their respective competitions, and hopefully uh, can can perform well in some big games. How is the squad uh, feeling heading into the the Mars Cup final? Obviously, a Shield game before then, but fifteen titles in the one day competition overall, and and five BBL titles. Uh, for the Scorchers, uh, WA have got a great record in, in white ball cricket, especially. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, you look at compare our white ball record to our red ball record and there's quite a contrast. But, um, you know, one day cricket, our record is something that we're really proud of. And, um, you know, at the moment, if you look across our, our squad, a lot of our players are sort of leaning towards white ball um, side of the game. Um, you know, we think that we've played some really good cricket over an extended period of time now. And you know, I said this about the Big Bash. We felt like um, on paper we've got a really good side and it's our responsibility to perform in big games and we've earned the right to play a home final and uh, it's our responsibility to live up to our um, our ability and try and play well and hopefully be able to win another title. And yourself, you're coming off an incredible run of scores as well and, and wickets in the big bash and then 167 last week in the, in the second 11 in Adelaide. Are you feeling good with uh, where your game is at now and, and being back around that, that Red Bull squad must be exciting as well? Yeah, I'm just enjoying playing cricket. Clearly, cricket's more fun when you're winning. Um, but, you know, I'm a part of some pretty amazing sides and... You know, I guess we've got a common goal of trying to win games of cricket and in turn trying to win trophies. And um, I guess the, the the spotlight's gone off the uh, the individual games of all of our players and it's kind of gone onto the team as a whole. And, um, you know, that can take pressure off everyone in our squad. Um, you know, we're working collectively rather than trying to swim against the tide by ourselves. And, you know, we're seeing some great outcomes from that. I would feel like we've got squads in both formats of the game that are um, playing really well. It feels like we've got more guys in form than you know most teams I've ever been a part of. And um, as a result, there's some um, a lot of competition for spots and um, we know that that can present some challenges come big, big games, but you know it's a great place to be in um, for me. But more importantly, it's a great place for Western Australian cricket to be in. Uh, October 2020 was the last time you played for a first-class match. And for those who don't follow um, grade cricket closely, you've made three uh, red ball hundreds for Fremantle this season, averaging 117 in, in first grade and second 11. Did you have to change anything in your game with your approach to the longer format to, to get break back into that, that shield squad as you have done this week? Well, the biggest challenge for, for me and... I know there's a lot of other people in this boat is just the opportunity to play cricket over the last couple of years since COVID um, hit. You know, I've hardly played a red ball game. You know, there's been no second 11 cricket. If you find yourself on the outer of the, the shield side, you know, often um, you're in hubs and bubbles and unable to even play grade cricket. So 
this has probably been the first year for the last three years since I found myself out of the side that I've been able to play some red ball cricket and you know, I've never really doubted my red ball ability, but having been out of the squad for a few years, you know, it's easy to sort of second guess yourself. And um, I guess red ball cricket for me is, you know, it's felt like a bonus. You know, I didn't necessarily expect to play much red ball cricket ever again, but it's a format of the game that I absolutely love and really passionate about and spend a lot of time still behind the scenes working on my red ball game but it almost feels like every game that I play from here on out to bonus and you know I guess that allows me to play with some freedom and um, you know it almost feels like I'm a kid playing my first game of cricket again um, and it's a really nice place to be and as a professional cricketer because that's not always the case. You mentioned it was a nice batting wicket before, but and but playing with that freedom almost seems like uh, with your strike rate last week, it's you're not letting the format dictate how how you play and how you construct an innings. Yeah, I guess that's the way that cricket's going in some respects. You know, we've seen it um, in Test cricket. Um, you know, and I think the amount of white ball cricket that guys are playing um, probably in years gone by, uh, high tempo. Uh, cricket has been deemed as high risk, but I guess as there's more white ball cricket being played around the world. What's actually happening is guys are just getting better at executing their skills under pressure, and so naturally we're seeing guys um, score quicker. Um, and if that suits the individual and their game plan is to to play that way, then you know it feels like they've got the skills and the practice to facilitate that brand of cricket. And um, you know, I think more than anything, it's it's always more fun when you're trying to take the game on and um, score quickly and you know I think it's a better brand of cricket and it's exciting but at the end of the day we're all playing part of the team and um, often the, the team can dictate how individuals play and um, I know in Western Australia um, all of the individuals in our group are encouraged to be individuals and have a license to express themselves however they wish and we'll see guys across our squad do that really differently. And your bowling as well. Uh, it's been a few tough years with the with all the shoulder operations you've had to have, but it seems like you got your confidence back and you're bowling a lot more overs and, and therefore, you know, bowling quite well and taking a few wickets as well. It's a bit like I just touched on with red ball cricket. You know, there was a stage when I walked in from my fourth shoulder reconstruction that I conceded that bowling and throwing were behind me and if I could get my shoulder into a place where I was still able to play cricket, the game I love and contribute as a batter only, then um, you know, I was going to take that opportunity. After having three unsuccessful operations, this was sort of the last roll of the dice and you know, I certainly never expected to be able to contribute as much with the ball or in the field as I'm able to at the moment and like my red ball cricket when I didn't necessarily expect more opportunities my bowling's really similar you know I didn't expect to ever be able to bowl again um, you know my shoulder's been through a bit but touch wood the last couple of years um, you know I haven't had any big issues with my right shoulder at least and you know to be able to bowl it's it's just fun more than anything you know um, um, you know, I've got that freedom that if it doesn't go well, you know, I didn't expect to be bowling. And if it goes well and I'm contributing to, to wins, then it's an absolute bonus. So after the, after the last one, you said you didn't expect to be to bowling again. Was it that fourth um, surgery that, that helped you get back to, to bowling? Or has it, you know, been a pretty tough slog with, with rehab and building up the strength and, and you know, getting the workloads in? Well, 
it was a long journey, but essentially what was happening was I was having surgery in the off season, doing six months rehab, returning to play at the start of the Australian summer and generally within the first two to three weeks I was diving on my shoulder or throwing a ball doing something and undoing all the surgery that I just had and had spent the winter rehabbing and so I'd play the rest of the summer able to play as a batter but I'd undone all of the surgery that had been done and as a result wasn't able to throw wasn't able to bowl and I spent about three full summers not being able to throw or bowl and so having done that for a long time and clearly seeing the results that the operation wasn't working my body wasn't able to handle the stress of um, you know fielding in particular throwing that we needed to try something else and so my fourth operation was actually different and it was it's called a latter operation but it's really common amongst the footballers and rugby players. It's a, it's a lot sturdier um, procedure. Essentially, they move bone in your shoulder. They chop it off in one part, uh, attach it to a different part. And so um, a really simplified explanation is that to instead of my labrum, the cartilage stopping my shoulder from dislocating, now I've got bone there to stop it. And so essentially for my right shoulder to dislocate, I need to snap bone. And that sounds good and it's a really... Um, it's a really good operation for some elite athletes, but for cricketers, it hadn't been tried before, and the risk is that you reduce your range of motion. So I was going into that fourth operation sort of conceding that I wasn't going to be able to throw and bowl again because the range of motion in my shoulder was going to be reduced to a point that I wasn't, it wasn't going to be a viable option. But the upside was going to be that I would be able to play cricket and my shoulder wouldn't keep dislocating and... That was the risk that I took. It felt like at that time I didn't really have another option. The three surgeries prior to that hadn't been working, but you know I stand here today available to bowl and throw on the weekend and feel very fortunate that um, you know the surgeries played out the way it has. Incredible. And did you have to go overseas for that, or is that something they could do within Australia and within, within Perth? Seems like a very specialised um, operation. Yeah, I had to go to Sydney to get it done and you know, I had a great surgeon and... Um, you know, I just feel very fortunate that I was able to, I had the opportunity to do that um, and be able to get it done and be playing cricket now. Uh, one thing I do want to talk to you about is, is leadership. You've built quite a reputation uh, in that space over your career so far, um, so much so that Aaron Finch has um, sort of thrown your name around as a possible replacement for the T20 side following his retirement, um, which you know, is a great accolade, I guess, uh, considering you're not in that side at the moment. You have been previously um can you talk us through a bit about um because it's something you think quite in depth about about you know the study and the reading you've done on leadership and and i understand you do a bit of guest speaking as well on the topic yeah it's a really interesting one and i guess that um as all young players do you know, i sort of came through the pathways and as a junior cricketer working on my batting and my bowling and my fielding and trying to be the best player that i can be Whilst at the same time you're trying to win games for whichever team you're representing, but you know, as I moved into senior cricket and started playing domestic cricket and um, for Australia, you realise that everyone at that level is a good player, and often there are other attributes that um, can change the outcome of games. And um, you know, I've been fortunate that I've been around some amazing leaders, and I've been able to see the influence that they can have on the outcome of games and series, but also 
how they can change the outcome of individuals' careers. You know, they can make their, their mates who they're going out onto the field with, they can make them better people, they can make them better players. And you know, I found that really inspiring. And I guess naturally I've moved into that space and you know, become a leader in Western Australian cricket and it's a role that uh, I've really enjoyed um, but it's a role that's been made really easy to me by the people who I'm around. You know, we've got amazing coaching staff, support staff, administrators behind the scenes. We've got a pretty senior group of players now in Western Australia who are all leaders in their own right. And um, I guess from the outside, you can see why the person with the captaincy tag next to their name gets a lot of the accolades. But um, my job's probably easier than it seems from the outside. You know, we've got a pretty well-oiled machine in West Australian cricket. We've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience who know their games, know themselves. And uh, essentially my job at the end of the day is to facilitate learning between all of our staff and our players. How can we help each other be the best players that we can possibly be? And I always go back to... Um, you know, it's a really simple model of um, motivation and what motivates individuals and generally people in all walks of life. They want autonomy. They want to have control over their own destiny. They want to have control over what they're doing every day. Uh, and that's a really useful piece of leadership for, for anyone. And I guess if we can give as much control uh, over the team, over individuals' um, you know, programs, everything, their day-to-day life, their training. We can give them some control, make everyone feel like they've got a voice, like everyone in the change room is being heard, they're being listened to. Then we know that motivation will be increased and that, you know, at the end of the day we're going to get a better outcome. But that being said, there's also something that conflicts with that and something that I feel strongly about is this life cycle of teams and it's, all well and good to say that we want to give all of the power, all of the autonomy to the players, but there's got to come a point where that's got to be earned. And in the early life cycle of teams, and you know, I can think back to the start of my career where you know I hadn't earned the right to have a say over everything that I was doing in my day-to-day preparation and um, playing was, you know, we needed strong leadership. We needed someone to tell me what to do and I was really fortunate to have a coach who was able to do that and I learned so much from JL as my first coach in Western Australia and that kind of leadership was what we needed as a young group but as we've grown older as we've evolved as we've had success you know clearly we've got a new coach now and a really different style but also as a playing group we've earned the right to um have a player-led environment um, and we've earned the right as players to have a say over our own destiny and I feel my job as a leader is to empower everyone, make sure they've got a voice, make sure they're heard, they're listened to and at the end of the day, you know, I think and in turn we think that that's the best way for us to get successful outcomes. You mentioned uh, JL and and some others as well that you may have uh, learnt from over the course of your career. Do you have uh, anyone sort of they all within cricket, those leaders that you sort of gravitate to or you've, you've taken bits and pieces off or is there a combination of, um, you know, leaders from outside of sport that perhaps you, you look to and you've taken bits and pieces off to um, sort of shape your style, I guess? Yeah, I mean, outside of cricket, I, I won't name names because they're, you know, people I've, you know, either read books on or seen on the internet, but 
you know, people from all walks of life. I can take inspiration from anywhere. But I guess up close, you know, I've been so lucky to be surrounded by amazing leaders. You know, if I think back to my memories of playing in the Big Bash under Simon Cadditch, I think back to playing under Adam Voges. I think back to being coached in the early days by Justin Langer and, you know, more recently coached by Adam Voges. You know, these are some pretty influential people in West Australian cricket and for me to be able to learn from them and then, you know, now take over the role that some of those guys um, once had is pretty humbling. But, you know, I feel like any success that I've had is not just my own doing, you know, it's... Uh, I can attribute a lot of it to the hard work of a lot of other people. And I guess now I feel that as I've evolved into this role of leadership, that's that's my job to empower the, the next group of leaders that we've got in Western Australia. And we're so fortunate. You know, we've got an absolute plethora of young guys who could walk into leadership roles. Um, you know, I won't name names because there's too many of them, but that's probably um, the most satisfying thing to me about my tenure as a leader in West Australian cricket is that, you know, I feel like I've got to a point where, you know, the team doesn't need me anymore. And that's not to say that I'm going to stand down and I won't be the captain anymore, but it's to say that if for some reason I wasn't there tomorrow to lead the team onto the field, that we've got a lot of other guys who now are equipped with the skills to, to lead our, our squads and could do an amazing job. And, you know, that's something that I'm really proud of and that, it doesn't happen overnight developing leaders, but, you know, it's something that we've been able to do really well. It's something that got passed on down to me and hopefully I've been able to have a small part and play a role in passing on some of the, that knowledge to some of the younger guys and, you know, how strong the correlation is between um, having strong leaders um, and success. Well, that's up to everyone else to decide, but you know I think that it's a big part of the reason that we're having success in West Australian cricket. And you talk about uh, empowering you know the future generations of, of WA cricketers into, into becoming you know great leaders. Have you done much uh, sort of speaking outside of of WA cricket in in terms of developing you know just not just leaders in in sport but also in in life? Um, yeah, I have, and you know I guess one of the great skills in life is you know I remember you know I'll tell a quick story about there was a stage early in my career where um, Adam Voges retired and we needed a new captain in Western Australia and uh, Mitch Marsh and I got asked to essentially apply for a job right we had to go and present to the board to the CEO to um, coach the psychologist you know there's a whole group of people but we had to Essentially, it was a job interview. To, do you want to be captain of West Australia? And I clearly didn't do that well because Mitch got appointed as captain of West Australia, which has turned out to be a great decision. But the actual act of sitting down, having to write down your thoughts on leadership, your thoughts on, you know, how are you going to manage a group of people and then being able to articulate that to other people in a group that's an amazing skill and a great learning opportunity because up until that point in my career, I'd probably never been asked to do anything like that. And leadership can be really natural for a lot of people, but how can you channel the um, the natural instincts that you have in the right direction? How can you use the skills that you've acquired over a long period of time at the right time and have impact on other people? So I guess that lesson of, 
me writing down my thoughts, being really clear on what I stood for, what I believed was important, that's held me in good stead. And so as I evolve and get older and you know, get asked to present or speak to groups of people, you know, it's always a great reflective piece for me to sit down, to write down my thoughts, to prepare and then articulate. And it's probably something in professional sport that we don't do a lot um, and we probably don't do enough. And, you know, I've had ideas before of, you know, putting, you know, particularly the younger guys in our squad under you know, a bit more pressure, but encouraging them to, it can be on topics such as, you know, our team values or it can be what we stand for. And for us, that's in West Australian cricket and you know, challenging those guys to sit down, um, you know, actually be able to think and write down their thoughts and then be able to articulate it. And, you know, there's something therapeutic about it, but I think at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, like studying for an exam, it prepares us for situations that we're going to be in. And, um, you know, I've certainly grown and learned a lot from that process. And I guess uh, following on from that, what would you think uh, you're more of a, a natural leader or is it something that you've evolved in um, sort of learnt over time or a bit of a combination of, of both? Yeah, I'm definitely in the camp that um, we learn to be leaders you know, there's, you can look up, there's a lot of literature on, you know, whether we're born or whether we learn to be leaders. But, you know, I think if you'd seen me as a 16-year-old, would you have necessarily point at me and said, you know, he's going to be a leader? Well, probably not. And, you know, I don't think I was a great leader as a junior. And it's definitely something that I've, a role that I've evolved into. And, you know, we're never the finished product, but I'm, I'm no doubt that I'm better in this role now than I was uh, when I was younger. Um, and that's really exciting for me because that means that we can't pigeonhole anyone into a certain role and anyone that we're able to come across, work with, has potential beyond what they're naturally given at birth. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time in Western Australia working on that. We've got a leadership group. We deliberately practice becoming better leaders. Uh, we've got a external consultant who comes in to facilitate those sessions to help us learn and grow, evolve. He challenges us to be better leaders and, you know, I'm a lifelong learner and I'll be learning for as long as I'm alive and I'll be finding ways to evolve and get bread, get better and, you know, leadership's definitely a part of that. Do you think you could make that, that uh, jump from sort of being outside of the side at the moment in terms of the Australian um, national setup into sort of being a leader of the, the T20 side. There's been you know, a few people calling for, for your name as being um, a candidate to replace Aaron Finch. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on the specifics of that, but you know, I've said this before, I'm as confident in my own skills now as I've ever been um, and I'm as confident in my leadership skills now as I've ever been and... You know, it's not my job to select any teams, but, um, you know, I feel like I'm a better player than I've been in the past. And, you know, I'm really enjoying playing cricket, which isn't always the case for us. You know, we face a lot of challenges and there's a lot of hurdles across the journey. Um, but, you know, right at the moment, I'm an amazing place where I'm playing in successful teams. I feel like I'm playing well personally and, you know, I'm just in, enjoying that success um, and you know whatever team I'm representing in the future um, you know I'll continue to try and play my role to score as many runs and um, help those teams be as successful as they can possibly be and 
if one day that means I'm back in the Australian team, then you know I think that's everyone's dream who's playing domestic cricket in Australia. And I'm certainly no different from all of the other guys who say they have aspirations to play international cricket again. Circling back to the Marsh Cup final, should we expect to see um, you know the likes of Ashton Agar, Marcus Stoinis, Mitch Marsh available in that in that uh, squad? They've got it, obviously a tour to India coming up straight after that as well. Yeah, all of those guys who are in the ODI squad are going to be available for the Marsh Cup final, and you know what an exciting prospect. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of challenges for the selectors to get a final eleven down on paper, but you know naturally that's the challenge of being a part of a good team. And you know, added to that, you know, it's then the responsibility of the eleven players who are selected to um, go out and live up to their their potential and. Know, we talk a lot about wanting to perform well in big games and we're really fortunate to have the opportunity to play in another big game and another final with an opportunity to win another one-day trophy for Western Australia. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we're only as good as our performances in big games and you know, it's an exciting proposition and you know, we can't wait for that opportunity. And I read uh, AJ Ty and Jai might be available as well. It's going to be a tough job for the selectors. Yeah, absolutely. Where other than Lance and Cam Green, who are with the Test squad, um, Sean Marsh, who's not playing any one-day cricket, I think we're in a really rare situation where we've just about got a full list to pick from. I can't remember that ever happening. Maybe there was one Shield game about three or four years ago um, that we played where we had you know a full squad to pick from, but. Um, you know, it's going to be a really challenging team to pick um, and, you know, that can only be a good thing for Western Australian cricket. Ashton, thanks for joining us on the Unplayable podcast. Uh, all the best for the Marsh Cup final and we hope to see you back out there in the whites for WA as well, surely. Thanks a lot, Jack. Absolute pleasure. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.